0: Welcome
1: to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason
2: Davis. Happy Friday. Welcome to Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Very excited for a big weekend of soccer. Very excited for a big soccer morning program for you today. Plenty of room for your phone calls. In fact, we're going to get phone calls in. Open up the lines. Get your thoughts, concerns, questions, comments uh, queries, give me another word that means something, uh, yeah, all of that stuff's going to come up after the news this morning, we're going to dive right into that, then at 10.40 a.m. Eastern, Mr. Will Parchman from Top Drawer Soccer will join us, we're going to wide range with with Will, we're going to go all over the place, we're going to talk U.S. Youth Internationals, we're going to talk about LAFC, we're going to talk a little MLS, we'll talk Haji Wright going to the Cosmos, so many different stories that we can talk to Will Parchman about uh, and he's got his, uh, finger on the pulse of them all, which should be a good, a good time on a Friday. I, I'm really, really, really jazzed up for this show. I don't know why. Maybe it's because, I don't know. It, there, there's some, a lot of things interesting me in the soccer world right now. It's not just the games themselves, but we're going to go over all of that. We're going to go over what the weekend looks like. I've pulled up our friend Jonathan Tannenwald's Game to Watch column at Philly.com, which you should go read. So we can touch on some of the games he thinks are important. I've got I've tossed in a couple of games that I think are interesting to watch. By the way, Jonathan does not even mention NYFC's visit to PPL Park in his games to watch column. I I feel like that's enough to get you banished from Philadelphia forever. Like I feel like that's the kind of thing that I mean. I know I know you the Union aren't good right now, but. <laughs> But maybe you should highlight the local game a little bit. I mean it is NYCFC coming in. And I I wrote a column uh a couple days ago. So or, or no, I wrote a piece for ESPN FC, a little short hit, asking the question what not there's going to be a rivalry between NYCFC and the Philadelphia Union. I know Jim Curtin was in the uh in the press saying something like it's they're from New York, it's a it's a rivalry. Is it really is it going to be one? Do we do we have that lined up? I, a lot of things happening and the world of soccer ready to go. So uh, write them down, jot them down so you don't forget them, and we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the phones here in just a couple of minutes for you uh, to jump in or with your comments. First up in the headlines, Eddie Johnson, American international, former Kansas City Wizard, former FC Dallas player, former Fulham player, current DC United player. Looks like his career may be coming to an end. A report by Stephen Goff of the Washington Post indicates that uh, Eddie Johnson's heart condition, which was identified ahead of the season, uh, or actually was identified towards the end of last year, and then uh, was properly assessed ahead of this season, and has kept him out of of soccer action uh, totally in 2015, may end his career. He's 31 years old. It's a, it's it's too early for Eddie Johnson to be hanging him up. Let's just be honest about that. Broke into so professional soccer, at the age of 16, 19 goals in 63 U.S. men's national team appearances. You, you, I'm sure you remember some. I'm sure you can pick out a couple of big Eddie Johnson moments from his history as a U.S. men's national team player. I remember the 2007 Copa America Eddie Johnson. It's a long time ago. Eight years ago, Eddie Johnson, a flash at forward, 90 MLS goals. If I have that correct, as I mentioned, Started out in MLS, ended up in Europe. Europe Fulham didn't work. He played at Ares uh, briefly in Greece. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing clubs for Eddie Johnson. I did not pull up his his full resume, but I did want to express that it is a it is a sad moment when a player that young has to hang them up. And at the same time, if this is what's best for Eddie Johnson's health, clearly he needs to make that decision to decide to retire probably well before he would like to. Now, on the practical end of things for D.C. United, there are lawyers and the unions involved in trying to figure out how to get D.C. United some cap relief if Eddie Johnson is, in fact, done at the age of 31, which it appears that he will be. Diego Costa will miss uh, Chelsea's games, the rest of Chelsea's games in April. That is per, per, excuse me, Jose Mourinho. That's a big loss, obviously, for Chelsea. Now, they've got enough of a gap at the top of the table. They've got enough creators in that team, goal scorers, People who can step up—that you would think that they'll be fine—but Costa has been um, a monster when he's play- when he's been healthy and playing well, and he needs to needs to get back to that. Obviously, I saw this uh, at Fox Soccer this morning. It's rather interesting the idea that Ch- that uh, Liverpool and Arsenal could swap players. Raheem Sterling, obviously going through that contract situation at a Liverpool where he's been uh, offered a lot of money and he has yet to sign a new deal. the The notion here is that that these two clubs could swap. Uh, Raheem Sterling for Theo Walcott, which is just, come on. I, I'm looking at, this is all the, the transfer roundup stuff. And we got a, I got a transfer thing that I want to bring up in a bit. But, uh, come on. I, I threw that in here because I'm a little light this morning. But the, the, have we ever, when's the last time we saw pay, players swapped like that in the, in the English Premier League? If money's not changing hands, people aren't moving. Zlatan so Ibrahimovic has gotten a four match ban for his, uh, outburst. In the aftermath of that loss to Bordeaux, you remember that. We talked briefly about it with Jonathan Johnson on this show. Uh, so Ebro will miss four matches for PSG, who again is not only still alive in the Champions League and looking to make some serious noise in that competition, but also has to go chase down another league on title, which is not coming nearly as easily as, uh, as you might expect considering the level of talent that they have. I, I don't know if you saw this. This was fascinating to me. A lot of talk about it. Uh, among some soccer nerds it 's the the uEFA decision to order a replay of the final moments of a u nineteen game in uh in Europe between England and Norway This is the under nineteen women 's teams were playing um, were playing in a game that was a qualifier for the european championship now the the English were given a penalty towards the very end of the match. There was encroachment into the area, and instead of issuing, instead of awarding England a re kick, instead of demand, instead of whatever, instead of uh, having the, the player take the kick again, the referee gave Norway a free kick. UEFA deemed this to be the incorrect refereeing decision, and had them pl- had them play five days later. Replay those final moments. So England put the uh, put the penalty away, ended up drawing the match two to, to two. And now that it sends them both through to the European Championship, if I'm not mistaken. But it's the more about the precedent that this sets. So you have a bad refereeing decision, and rather than sort of let it lie, which is the case in nearly every other circumstance, you bring the players back and you have them play it over again. Uh, short of, of weather, I don't know that I've ever seen this happen before. All right, games to watch this weekend. Again, check out philly.com and John Tannewald's piece um, on the games he's picked out. He's definitely got the Manchester Derby. I think we all do. Uh, At Old Trafford, Manchester United facing a city team that's been scuffling and going through quote-unquote crisis. We'll see how that goes for the citizens against the Red Devils. Portland hosting Orlando City. That's a obviously a vibrant uh, atmosphere, a big uh, away match for Portland. You'll get Kaká facing off uh, against the Timbers there in the Pacific Northwest. D.C. United hosting New York Red Bulls, one of MLS's best rivalries, if not the best rivalry in MLS. Uh, facing a, D.C. United facing the Red Bulls with the knowledge that that Eddie Johnson has probably done officially. Uh, Red Bulls coming in probably with very few changes from the last time these two teams played. L.A. and Seattle is a big Western Conference clash. Now, again, it's early enough in the season that when you look up at the standings, and you see LA Galaxy in eighth place and the Seattle Sounders in fifth place, you go, hmm, that doesn't sound right. We'll see if that if that lasts for much longer. But for the time being, this game is pretty crucial to both of these teams. FC Dallas and Colorado tonight. And the only question there is whether or not the Colorado Rapids are capable of scoring a goal. Uh, do we know yet? Is it how much longer can the Rapids go without scoring a goal? Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. You want to talk Eddie Johnson? How about this? Bring me your transfer rumor, and I will decide if it's legit or not. That's what I want to do today. It's a Friday. We'll Parchman at 1040. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
1: You're talking too loud. But I can't Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk
2: with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines open. New number, 646-832-3909. I think Alistair is ready to go. What's up, Alistair? Hey,
3: good morning. I have a nice little um, transfer rumor. How about Zoltan um, Ivanovich going to um, Manchester City?
2: Zlatan, to, Zlatan, I have not heard this one. This is new to me. Zlatan Ibrahimovic to Man City. Is that what you're telling me?
3: Well, I I heard it from a um, from a soccer blog blogger suggesting that maybe you know Zlatan might be getting tired of PSG and PSG. You know, might be might be getting a little tired of him. I think if would go into Manchester City, you add a nice little spark.
2: I, I certainly think it's possible that, that PSG is a little tired of Zlatan. Zlatan's a little tired of France. Um, PS, I mean, Manchester City's a place that would make sense because they're the type of team that has the money to dump on Zlatan. Let's remember he's 33, approaching 34, uh, this fall. I don't know that that necessarily means he couldn't make a big move. It just means it may not be a long-term deal. I don't know what Zlatan wants to do. I, I think that I will put that one in the plausible range only because the, the, the match. And- makes makes sense, whether or not it I actually can, is happening. Go ahead. I
3: have one more thing, too. I can see it coming to the NLS link for New
2: York City FC, too, down the line. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... uh, I really just, Obviously, there, there's been that news story about Zlatan going down, to the, uh, going down and getting his uh, U.S. visa, which, again, has been pointed out. You don't need a visa if you're only going to be here uh, for a little bit on a vacation, so maybe this means he's intending to to stay longer well that could be now it could be three years from now it could be just a hey you know what I might as well get this done I think that if Zlatan comes to MLS which I'm still on board with I think New York makes sense I think LA I mean it's unfortunately for everybody else and I'm sorry middle America Zlatan Ibrahimovic is not going to end up in Columbus or Colorado or Dallas or uh <laughs> he's just not or Chicago for that matter no. And 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 that's unfair to those teams but it's going to be New York. It's well, going to be L.A. Would you say? You know, because it's a big market. Maybe Chicago, because it's a big market.
3: No, but I, but that, that's There's the York. problem,
2: Alistair, is that Chicago is a big town that doesn't get respected like a big town. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have the reputation abroad as a big city. When people think of the United States, they think L.A., New York, Miami. That's what they do. That's why and he would we'll end up there. Say,
3: too, I think, um Eddie Johnson
0: I think should be a first battle of the Hall of Fame
2: cuz he had a really good career I think Oh ah, that's that's an interesting discussion whether or not Eddie Johnson is a Hall of Famer I don't think he's going to get in um you know it it'll t- it'll, it'll it'll take some time before he's even on a ballot maybe maybe uh, sentiment will shift but let's not forget that Eddie Johnson's taken a beating in terms of his reputation over the course of his career True. he's been identified as a petulant player he's obviously had some incidents um, in his personal life, that have been high profile, and I'm not saying that should count; that should matter. But think about the voters for the Hall of Fame. Think about who makes up that uh, that contingency, and whether or not they would actually um why whether or not they, they would actually uh, whatever why, whether or not they would actually vote Eddie Johnson in. All
3: right, well,
2: thank you. No problem, man. Thanks for the call, Alistair. You. There you go. The phone lines are open six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. I am here. To tell you whether that insane transfer rumor you've heard has any possibility of happening. I am the ultimate arbiter. I am deciding right now. I'm making this de- a declaration that I get to decide whether or not your transfer rumor is true or not or false or impossible or ridiculous or whatever. Just to give you some peace of mind. I know, you I, you know, if you had a magic eight ball, you would need me. Maybe you have one of those. Will Zlatan go to Man City. Uh, what is, what does the eight ball even say anymore? I don't even know what a, what a magic eight ball says anymore. The kids use magic eight balls. Am I dating myself already? Again? Am I doing that again? All right. 646-832-3909. Will Parchman at 1040. We're going to t- cover a lot of things with Will Parchman. I'm looking forward to that, to that discussion. We'll be here until 11 o'clock today on a Friday and get out a little early for you, a little early for us. Get your weekend started. Tell me what games, as always, tell me what games you're looking forward to this weekend. Does that Manchester Manchester Derby have any juice to it at all? I mean, it should. It's two top teams in the Premier League. It's two teams with plenty to play for, and yet you feel, with the way that Manchester City has fallen off, you kind of feel like it's not as big of a deal as it might otherwise be. I mean, it's huge in Manchester. I'm not going to deny that. You also have the NBC television crew taking their show to England. So all of the uh, all of the NBC names will be there on the ground in Manchester. NBC Roadshow rolls in at Old Trafford for the 169th Manchester Derby. United and and City are in third and fourth place in the Premier League respectively and are separated by just one point. Yaya Torre, Sergio Sergio Aguero and City are free, are reeling, excuse me, after a loss at Crystal Palace. That's part of it. Losing to Palace doesn't really set the stage. Effectively ending their title hopes, but a clash with Wayne Rooney's Red Devils provides plenty of motivation. That is from, again, John Tannewalt's What to Watch column over at philly.com. Mike wants to talk about the U.S. Open Cup pairings. I do not have those in front of me right now. I apologize for that. I know we've got the U.S. Open Cup draw. We need to get uh, Josh Ackla back on this show from uh, the us to go over this year's U.S. Open Cup tournament. I'm seeing stories out there and, and blog posts and the like and stuff. The headlines are the that the U.S. Open Cup is a sleeping giant of American soccer. That may be true, but the question you always have with any sleeping giant, and it's true, it's been true of the United States as a soccer country. It's been too, if you ever hear t- people talk about rugby, they'll say the U.S. is a sleeping giant. They'll say certain things are sleeping giants in a sporting context. The problem with a sweep, with a sleeping giant is that there's no there's no how-to book on waking them up. How do you wake up this sleeping giant? I know people want to simplistically say, if U.S. soccer invested more in the U.S. Open Cup, it could be huge. And I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. I just don't know how you create a market for that tournament. In terms of television, in terms of national footprint. How do you do that exactly? Who do you get on board? How much of a commitment would it take from one of the major sports networks to give the US Open Cup its proper due to give it its proper stage. Speaking of this Guillermo's on the line wants to talk US Open Cup. Guillermo, what's up?
4: Hey, good morning, uh Jason. Um everything good here, man. I'm really looking forward to this uh weekend game between the Seoul uh, um the Sonoma Soul and the new uh USL affiliate uh, uh Burlington Dragons. I know this means nothing to you. Uh, these are tiny little teams out here in the West, but we need to put this on, on the map. I, I think you're, you're right on with uh, saying that it needs to be carried at, you know, it could be versus or whatever it's called now, right? Now it's NBC. There's a bunch of new, uh, uh, Specialized, uh, um, but no, but Gamma, media
2: Gamma, Gamma, look, I, I would love you're making a logical leap. First of all, NBC has plenty of content. They have plenty of, of stuff to show. Okay. They, they have, they have auto racing and they've got, you know, obviously, uh, news shows and, and, and plenty of Premier League soccer. Uh, NBC's got a lot of stuff. They do not have room to go showing Burlington versus the soul. I'm sorry. Now, I, you could find some other way to do this i guess and trevor's like okay always thought u.s soccer needed to bring in a marketing firm to reinvigorate it get creative okay i, I agree with that let's let's take a, a different approach let's let's uh let's make this i'm sorry i'm gonna sound old here but let's make this tournament hipper how do you do that exactly find a creative marketing firm maybe they can figure out a way to do that but again in terms of creating the television interest i don't know where that is i don't know how you do that you know, the, my, my, the way I've always thought, and I think you're right. I think they do need to bring professionals
4: in here that have the connections to to give. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of new uh, uh, channels uh, opening up, right? CBS, uh, they all want to do the 24 hour sports coverage, right? There's a bunch of different ones that are exploding out there, and, and you should be one of these. Uh, but uh, the, you know, bringing well, in the, and create a regional rivalry type of thing, okay. like the college folks have done for many many years, right? Like small market teams. Need to be able to get you know, fire has to go to Fresno from the Bay Area, well, right? They, or okay, from, but you, you and have a... to go to Las Vegas and make those road trips happen for the local folks.
2: But, that's what's kind of put it in the map, Guillermo. Guillermo. First of all, I think you're you're being a little Pollyanna with the idea that there's some network out there that would pick this up, even if you do CBS Sports Network. How many people know have that and know where it is? So I'm just saying you're, you're again, you're limiting the audience. If the U.S. Open Cup final, I think is still on. Thanks for the call, Gam. I'm going to move on. The U.S. Open Cup final, I think is still on, uh, goal TV, right? They still have the rights. Is that right? Nobody gets goal TV anymore, but that's a dedicated sports network. I mean, it's on TV. Now, if you want the entire tournament to be broadcast somehow, it's going to have to be the internet. That means investing in all of that technology to get the cameras out at the stadiums and i just mean even if it's a webcam situation you still have to have somebody out there running those things you have to have the proper internet connection to get it going there's so much stuff to, to get involved with here so i i would love for this tournament to take a step forward i am just not clear and no one has laid out for me how to do that with those elements I, i'm not saying it's not potential and i admit that i'm not a marketing guru if as trevor says you bring in a a, a firm and they find some way to make it more interesting, that's great. The other thing that Guillermo said before I get to Washington is that you need to create these regional rivalries and have these people excited to take the road trip to Vegas. The difference between that and, say, a college atmosphere is the colleges have a built-in fan base. Every single one of those 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds who go to that school has a vested interest in, in rooting for that team, whether it's basketball, soccer, baseball, whatever it might be. You have to create your own fans as a soccer club, even if you're USL. You have to create those fans. How do you do that exactly? Washington, what's up?
3: Hey, what's up, Jason? So I wanted to touch upon this topic as well. You had mentioned how do you wake up. I I also believe the U.S. um, Open Cup is a sleeping giant, but unfortunately— I believe that the only way that you awaken that sleeping giant is by instituting pro rel in U.S. soccer, because the reason why, in other parts of the world, they you know you you have fans that root well. Maybe it's not, It may not be the only reason, but definitely one of the reasons why you have fans that root and are so passionate for a third division team or a second division team is because if they do well, there's a chance of them yeah, making okay. it to the yeah, first look, division. Look, look, Washington, and, Washington,
2: that is true to a certain extent. I will never deny that. That's a part a part of rooting for a lower division team in a lot of the world, but you also have lots and lots of history that goes back a hundred years. Their grand, I agree, their yeah. great grandfathers rooted for that team. That's never been out of the fourth division. That's never been out of the third division. They're still going out to those games. They're still sitting in those rinky-dink stadiums with bleachers, watching a muddy, watching teams play on a muddy field. Because they have a, a tie to that team. They have roots. They have history. They're, like I said, their great-grandfather went out to those games. That's not the case here. And you can't wish that right, into existence. But history existence.
3: starts with day one. This is what I'm saying. If we keep saying, well, we can't do it because we have no history, we'll never have history.
2: No, I, I, I agree to a certain extent. But I think people want to, to rush. People think that the process can be accelerated somehow. That if you, if you institute all these things, next thing you know, you'll have...
3: Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people. You asked what it would take to awaken a sleeping giant. I'm not saying that if you institute pro-world tomorrow, U.S. Open Cup becomes a big thing tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's the first step. I really yeah. do believe it. And do I think that we're ready for that first step? No, I don't. Yeah. But I do think that that's the first step.
2: Yeah, no, you might be right, Washington. And, and here's Trevor dropping in again. Uh, he thinks that David uh, the David versus Goliath aspect is one of the strongest, strongest selling points and everybody identifies that it's certainly later on in the tournament when you have a third division team facing MLS or, vice, or, or, or a fourth division team making it through and facing an NASL team or whatever the case may be that's one of the stronger selling points and you need to tie it to both local and national pride okay so again it, these concepts these ideas that we all have on how to make this tournament relevant and interesting and bring out the passion they're simple statements tie it to local pride Okay, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you get the local third, fourth division team? okay, to how do you make it of interest to those local fans? Trevor said that's where marketing comes in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And And I guess I guess what I'm doing here is I is I'm identifying where the marketing campaign needs to start and obviously not having a degree in marketing myself. I have no idea where to make that, where to make that happen. 9 uh sorry. six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine 3909 is your phone number. Uh, jump in on Twitter at soccer morning as well. I'll get that ramped up. We can talk U S open cup. We've got about 13 minutes until Will Parchman from top door soccer joins us. We're going to do a lot of uh, talk on LAFC and Haji Wright and uh, maybe some uh, NASL and U S uh, youth team development, all of those things with Will Parchman, who is fantastic Mike on Twitter says Laton to the Cosmos is inevitable. All right. Uh, maybe. Maybe it is. And I, I could see that happening. But I'm talking, we're thinking I'm talking five years from now, maybe. It's Laton to the New York Cosmos. Fox Sports got the U.S. Open Cup final this year. Okay, thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Uh, so that's no longer a Goal TV issue. And uh, my, apparently I did not have my Twitter feed working, and now I've got a billion tweets to try to catch up on. So there you go. Let me just go ahead and review some of this. Ah, uh, uh, let's see. We've got, um, James, um, James Starrett. Part of me wishes that the rights would get rolled into the same package as the U.S. men's national team MLS rights. That, look, the, the fact that U.S. Open, that U.S. Open Cup is its own thing, separate from everything else, and that U.S. soccer doesn't have a vested interest to push it alongside those elements is a problem. And I think James identifies a, a potential solution. But if you are the the television network, that's that's inventory you might not want. With, te- with teams that nobody has heard of, that you have to force. I, I don't know. It's very difficult. Lawrence and Memphis. What's up?
0: Hey, how's we going?
2: Ah, man, we're talking U.S. Open Cup. It gets people riled up.
0: Yeah, here's here's what I think. This won't make it necessarily a huge like a, like a, an awakened giant. Uh, but it, it's, uh, a series of steps in the right direction is, uh, what U.S. Soccer has, has done. They started it with the tournament last year. So they offered, uh, what they felt was the best game of each round. Uh, they streamed it live on their website. Okay. So that's a step in the right direction. And then I uh, know the, the CONCACAF Champions League has been on Fox Sports too. Now, obviously only the most dedicated of fans are going to go over there and watch it. But surely, uh, the Fox, surely Fox Sports 2 can put, just another, each round can put a good game on there, whether it's a, a stadium atmosphere that we think will be the best, or it's a, sure. like a New York Cosmos against the New York Red Bulls, or, or what have you. Uh, so if you can, you know, if you can, it's, I mean, in today's day and age, it's all about the TV dollar. Uh, so if you can get, you can get the one game streaming on the U.S. Soccer website every round, and the one game on Fox Sports 2 every round, uh, that's, like I said, headed in the right direction. And obviously, some of these teams could do a lot better job of hyping up and, and, and well, uh, uh, advertising their U.S. Open cut well, fixtures a lot better.
2: Yeah, Lawrence, it would, thanks for the call, man. It, it would certainly help if the MLS teams, all of them, or at least a majority of them, and certainly the high-profile ones, took the tournament seriously. When you've got Bruce Arena flat-out not caring, it doesn't help. Jonathan's calling on the hotline. Jonathan... You're, you're, your calls. you around did. You're subverting the system. What's going on? It's better audio quality. So it's better for the <laughs> listener.
1: Um, I'm going to tweet out a column in a minute by that I came across recently by a guy who's sort of writing on American soccer for the telegraph in the UK named Bob Williams that he reached out to me and Josh Hackla and a few other folks, um, to ask about the U.S. Open Cup and why it doesn't get, um, you know, more interest. And the, the answer is, is twofold in my opinion. One, and this is something that, uh, I've experienced firsthand working in that damn mainstream media that everybody wants to cover soccer more. You cannot manufacture demand. No, no. And, you know, the, the question that the Bob asked in his column, and I think he asked it fairly intelligently, is which comes first? The club's interest? generating fan interest or the fan interest making the clubs take it seriously (laughs) the answer the answer is the clubs have to take it seriously first i would agree with that because they're the ones who have the marketing engine and the and the the ability to go out to people and say yes this matters and here's why and when you get to maybe it doesn't have a huge effect in the early rounds but when you go out to people as as the Philadelphia Union did last year, and say, "Here is one game where we can win a championship in our home stadium." That's where it starts.
2: Yeah, you know, obviously we've got a history of the the Sounders taking it seriously, as you said, the the Union being able to to try to win a, t- a title in their home stadium. Um, DC United, you know, sort of their trophy collection, they love adding to it. Any U.S. Open Cup victories are a part of that. Uh, but I, 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 I guess. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, Jonathan. If, if we, if we, I don't know if the foundation is there even. I mean, it it, it seems like we're you okay, the, the we, foundation in
1: general for MLS is not as big as a lot of people who are part of that foundation think it is. Right. You and I have said that many times
2: right. over the years. Absolutely.
1: Um, and the the previous caller asked, "Well, why doesn't Fox just televise the games? Well, is that going to come out of the caller's pocket?"
2: Right. Right. <laughs> right absolutely. Yeah.
1: Television is not cheap, and, you know, and and. Um, you know, Fox's entire operation is based on the West Coast. You want them to televise a Cosmos Red Bulls game? First of all, it better be a Red Bull arena because you'd better make sure that, that, uh, you know, Short Stadium has everything you want, uh, television wise, which it, it generally does. But, you know, you take any lower division stadium where a game might be played. Are you dead certain that you can run a full TV broadcast out of some of these places? Yeah, Cause you can't.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and I think that people see what happens with the FA Cup and they see these little, these little stadiums, these uh, five thousand seat stadiums, ten thousand seat stadiums, and they see these little clubs taking on Liverpool or Manchester United, whoever. And they imagine that we could definitely do that here. And first of all, I, again, I don't know that the interest is there to fill up those little stadiums. I don't think the infrastructure is there. And you know, luckily for for English football fans and for the people running those broadcasts, it's what it's a two hour train ride to the local stadium. It's not a flight across the country lugging equipment. It's Again, these things are, are, are interesting to consider. I mean, we had a couple of years ago, Cal FC generates enough interest to force some extra broadcasts, but generally that doesn't, and and again, that's the, that's the interest, uh, that's the demand presaging the actual broadcast, John.
1: And the people don't see, you know, they see what the the cameras are broadcasting. They don't see all the temporary scaffolding the cameras are built on top of.
2: Yeah, look, and James is on Twitter saying, hey, they could market it, they could try marketing it at all. And again, that's what Trevor has been identifying here as part of the problem, John, is that I think a lot of people, before we even get to the idea of whether or not TV could have a, a you know, TV could be a better home for the U.S. Open Cup, you have that notion that U.S. soccer is not doing anything with it or certainly not doing it enough, uh, doing enough with it. Is that is that your opinion? I
1: generally agree with that. Right. But again, and look, what I like to see, the, of course, I'd like to see the coin flips. Webstream, and I've been a fan of the Open Cup for a really long time, uh, you know, going back, you know, probably a good, good 10 years or so. But the, the, uh, the, sorry, Lawrence just, uh, tweeted at me. I'm not, a, I'm asking for Fox, I'm asking one game per round, and ESPN does games in Rochester. Well, yes, Rochester is a nice stadium, but it, it's, you, you can't, you cannot force, the television networks to do something that they don't think there's going to be some form of return on
2: investment. Sure, and, and, and we've already, again, sort of... Because if it's your business, you'd make the same decision. As I, yeah, absolutely. And as I identified... Not only do we have people clamoring for the U.S. Open Cup to get better treatment and sort of putting the cart before the horse when it comes to television, MLS has been on that that same track for a long time. And you could even argue, John, and I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you could even argue that this $90 million total TV deal is an investment in the league ahead of any actual return for the TV networks. They're already, they're already putting their money on the table for that competition. Why are they also going to do it for U.S. Open Cup? Well, they know the
1: value of the U.S. Open Cup. The 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 domestic television networks, they know
2: that. But
1: I don't think the general public interest is there yet in the Open Cup. It's a great thing for the supporters. It's a great thing that has been nurtured and cultivated by the supporters over the years. Look, if I was living in San Francisco, I'd absolutely be at that game at Kesar Stadium on April 25th, whether or not I know anything about any of the teams involved. But that's – and you individually – and however many hundreds of people are talking about this with us would probably say the same. But it still doesn't constitute enough of a demographic, caucus, whatever phrase you want to use, to make it worth the investment. Because again, if, if a lot of the, the listeners out there are saying,
2: well, I do this and I do that, and it's not their money. No. Appreciate the phone call, Jonathan. Got to move on. Thanks yep. a lot. There goes Jonathan Tannewald. From Philly dot com, I got a couple of minutes here. I'm going to try to jam you guys in. Uh, Robert out in L.A. What's up?
4: Hey Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I wanted to talk about uh, CCL real fast. That's okay? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, I just want to give you my my opinion. I was watching the, the Montreal game, and I was just saying that uh, the, I will wish I was watching the game through a, a Canadian feed, and I got more uh, Montreal actually sent two. Post actual to the actual stadium in Costa Rica, uh-huh. and I got more insight from them, like you know, uh, 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 what the fans were doing. And then, because I can't watch watch it when Kobe Jones and Fox does it, because okay. they have no idea what they're talking All right, about.
2: So you you've lodged a complaint against Fox in the in the in the closet that they do these games from. I look, it's it's obviously yeah, to be coverage. Look, whoever sent people down. Thanks for the call, Robert. I got to jump. Uh, I got to move on before we get to Will Parchman in a couple of minutes look fox soccer putting that on is enough i mean we, we really can't get demanding and, and greedy here a couple of tweets on the u.s open cup before i get to Corey in new york jimmy conrad jumping in being treated with more respect by the powers that be which will lead to proper media exposure biggest bo- bigger bonus money etc so he he's obviously got an idea of that people need to treat this t- competition with respect in order for us to get anywhere with it in terms of the u.s open cup um uh, Corey, what's your what are your thoughts on this
4: Hey, uh, what's going on? I gotta say, I really agree with, uh, with Conrad too. Respect from up above and the powers that be. That would definitely go a long way with respect. But to hop on what everyone's talking about in terms of TV, I, I really think that that's... I I don't want to say it's a pipe dream, but it's really far away. We're going to need a more like seminal moment, like '94, to really shift in TV coverage. Mm -hmm. But what I do think would be a great option for Open Cup will be kind of what the USL is doing with YouTube channels and digital streaming. Absolutely, and it could really market to niche fans, and that's really how it's going to grow the base. And again, people that have been fans since '94, mm -hmm. people that have been fans since '96, and growing the league, we've helped. We've helped grow MLS. We're going to bring in and usher the new generation of fans. And I really think going online, streaming content, that's going to be a way. I,
2: I agree, Corey. And I, and I think that if there there is uh, a place for U.S. soccer to put its money, it's number one in a marketing campaign, a dedicated firm who goes out there and tries oh, yeah. to make this competition look cool for everybody who might be interested. And number two put it into that infrastructure again i said you know you need somebody go out there with the webcam getting everything set up make sure the internet stream is good enough and you are going to run into some hiccups but at least make the effort and try to put these games on where where people can see them And we've gotten those have gotten better over the years thanks for the call cory uh, you need to you're put you're them welcome. you need to put them all in one place uh, perhaps maybe to to get people that interested let's take a break when we come back will parchman from top drawer soccer will join us for a wide ranging discussion don't go anywhere I'll be right back Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go. Joined now via Skype by Will Parchman of Top Drawer Soccer. Follow him on Twitter. It's just Will Parchman. Correct? I have that right.
5: You nailed it.
2: I nailed it. It's Will Parchman. There's only one Will Parchman. There's. There's, like,
5: there's only one. There's, there's a, not even a Will Dot Parchman out there. There's just a,
2: one. There's, there's a billion Jason Davises, and it pains me. It pains me that my Twitter handle is so terrible, but you, you're, you've got yours, and it's a great place for people to go and follow Will's work, which is always fantastic. Will, we could talk about a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, generally speaking, because of what the work you do at Top Door Soccer, uh, with Ta- Travis Clark and, uh, and those guys, we talk a lot about development and youth development. We're going to get to a couple of those topics, but I think what's interesting here, uh, first and foremost, and, and I've been tracking this on Twitter just like everybody else. Is what LAFC is doing right now. They are, they're they're a nascent uh, club. They, they whether or not you want to view them as an existing club is, I guess, eye of the beholder stuff. They certainly don't have any players. They don't have a stadium site picked out. They don't even have I, official colors and a logo. And yet they're doing things out there that make it uncomfortable. Is that the right way to say this?
5: Yeah, it's funny too when you say what LAFC is doing on Twitter. I'm not. I'm not 100% sure what that is exactly. Um, they're kind of throwing stuff against the wall. I mean, they had a, they had a roundtable on Twitter. I think it was two days ago and they disappeared for about 90 minutes. You should, I mean, you could go back and look at this. This is all, um, this is all on Twitter and they disappeared for about 90 minutes. So they start the roundtable and then they're gone. So there's a ton of questions and comments on Twitter completely unanswered and then they come back and they say okay we're back we're ready for we're ready to answer your questions <laughs> and you're like well, well, excuse me and then they don't answer almost any questions they they say you know we can't answer that at this time we have no information on that uh you'll we'll be able to answer that in like 2016 or something and that's kind of been analogous to how they've run this club but it's kind of a shadow club where there's no information there's no i mean i wasn't aware of this but they made it seem during this roundtable as if LAFC wasn't even uh, a deadlock as their official team name. I, I think it probably will be, but they sure. were, they were, they were um, soliciting advice for what their team name could be, which is utterly asinine to me that you would launch. Um, you know, we know they they haven't launched with, uh, with colors or a crest. Um, neither of those things they have, but if, if, they have branded themselves as LaFC, and that does not end up being their team name. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a new level for uh, for what yeah, are you no, doing? You know,
2: and, and we've been I've been critical of NYFC and how they've NYCFC and how they've handled things. Uh, certainly, how they handled things leading up to their the inaugural season. I thought things took too long. I thought they weren't really connecting to New York. They were bringing in Manchester City players and doing all of these weird marketing things, and it just didn't feel. It didn't feel right. Whether or not you can be organic, it probably can't. It's going to be corporate, and that's the same thing for for LaFC. And yet here they are making even worse mistakes in my in my personal opinion. And yet I think that there is there is this kind of desperate group of people who are ready to latch on to this quote unquote team, despite the fact that it doesn't have anything to tether to. Well, what's that about?
5: Yeah. Well, the difference between the fundamental difference, I should say, between LAFC and NYCFC is that LAFC doesn't have a soccer background. As I mean, I think Mia Hamm is in the ownership group, and they've got a couple people who've, you know, who've, who've dabbled as well. But uh, NYCFC had this, like, iron backing of City Football Group, which owns 80% of that club. And, you know, they, they've got um, youth identification apparatus in the bank. They've got Um, they're going to have loans in the bank. Uh, Jason Christ went to Manchester for however long in the offseason and viewed how they did their, um, their front office. And, you know, they have all of these things that can help them. I mean, NYCFC is going to be fine no matter what. I mean, they didn't need to roll out a crest. You know, they could afford to wait until earlier this year to establish their, their, um, their academy just because they have all of these things already in the ground. I, I'm not sure what LAFC is waiting on, but for the next two years, the LA Galaxy are going to have the largest homegrown monopoly in the history of MLS. There's not another club in, in my opinion, the most fertile development ground in the country in Los Angeles. So, I mean, certainly there are other development academies there and you can get a great soccer education um, in a number of places, but no other club offers that sort of youth to professional single pipeline mm-hmm. and that's enticing to a lot of people and the galaxy have a unique niche in that way and nobody else can challenge that until at least 2017 and there's been even some talk the lafc might be 2018 which was another question on twitter that they they uh they so kindly did not answer
2: And this is the thing like if you're not going to have answers to any of these simple questions and and i get okay look i get the branding stuff may come later especially if you're not launching your team for a couple of years, but to not know if you don't know when you're launching and, and they don't know because th- I think all of this is tied to the stadium, right? Well, they don't know if they're going to be able to get a stadium done for 2017 or 2018. Clearly, the timeline is pretty short for 2017. But if you don't know those things, why have a Twitter presence that is only going to muddy the waters? And again, they're doing odd things like, so whoever's manning it is watching things happen across the world and when Nicholas Bettner scores a hat trick against the US he's throwing out things about Nicholas Bettner being a DP signing for LAFC <laughs> and I don't understand what that thinking it's so confusing and convoluted and it's 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 almost like um I I I I don't know I mean obviously our friend Maxi Rodriguez is all over this on Twitter and that's where yeah, I'm getting hey. some of this but a lot of it is is it, it, it's it's a, it's like if you plopped somebody down in front of um a, a a laptop and said here man this Twitter account and watch soccer and just tweet whatever you whatever you feel is soccer related with no coherent strategy whatsoever. And it would it would almost make
5: more sense if they had something, anything to hold on to. I mean, if the LA Galaxy have, for instance, if okay, well, let's say you know. Uh, the Argentinian national team was in DC recently training. So if DC United tweets something about Lionel Messi, DC United has been around for 20 years. They've established their brand. You know them. You know their team. Um, they've won championships in the past. Um, and they tweet about Messi, uh, you know, his stats or something. They tweet, somebody took a picture with Messi. Isn't this cool? Completely fine. There's, there's absolutely no problem with that because you know DC United. You know, you, you, know, they've, they've planted their flag in the ground. You know what they're about. A couple tweets about Messi. They'll disappear into the ether in two days and you forget all about them. LAFC is, I mean, th- I, I say this not disparagingly, but they're nothing right now. Yes,
2: so, right. They are. They're so, nothing. They're a black <laughs> hole. They're a black hole of soccer. They are.
5: You know? And so to, to attach yourself to these tweets, this is literally all of the public presence your entire franchise has. And you have to be careful with how you use that, that publicity in the early days. And so to tweet something, a picture out in November, like literally two weeks after you've had your announcement that you are, exist as a club to say, check out Lionel Messi's career stats. It makes zero sense and it makes you look amateur. Like there's a college intern running your. You know your your Twitter, which is
2: probably the case. I mean, if you don't have a structure involved, and, and I don't know where they are in putting their team together, but if you don't have a structure involved, and you know, and social media is sort of like down the list of things you got to get done. Maybe they have handled it. I don't know. Again, as you said, it's their only public persona? So wouldn't that be important? I, I don't know. I, I hope they get things together. I hope there's a stadium deal that gets done, and that sort of uh, coalesces all of these elements, and they figure out a a plan. Will. What's the timeline? What? How quickly do you think they need to figure out how to start positioning themselves? Because it's not even really about the galaxy. It's just trying to figure out a niche within a very crowded sports market, especially in LA, where, where hey, you know what? There's a lot of competition for for eyeballs and and, and hearts.
5: Well, I think the first thing that they should have done, um, and I don't. I, certain Tom Penn, is their their owner, is, has talked about this in the past about being difficult, and I understand that. But I think that they. They should have come in to MLS with a plan immediately to absorb Chivas USA's academy. Yes. Um, and to use that in the 2015-2016 development academy season. Um, because Chivas USA, for the train wreck that the senior team was, their academy is, is one of the best in the country. And it still is. I mean, they have a ton of quality kids in that academy. And they, they face kind of an uncertain future right now. And LAFC can make a very compelling case to MLS, which owns Chivas USA right now, which owns that academy, um, to say we'll assume uh, command for all these kids for U16, U14, U20, or U18 team. Uh, excuse me. And uh, and we'll you know we'll start play under LAFC banner uh, in 2015, 2016. And I you know development academy has already announced its new teams for the next season. So I'm not sure that that's even possible at this mm-hmm. point. So I, I think they may have missed an opportunity there. And you know, New York City FC waited, in my opinion, too long to establish a development academy team. Um that's something very easy that you can do to start sort of planting your flag in the ground for that community to say, you know, we, we care about your kids, we're we care about development, uh, we're in this community. Uh, for the long haul, and they haven't—they haven't done that yet. It's a very easy thing to do. Yeah, well, um, I, you know,
2: I don't know what's happening on the ground, but I think you've identified something that's—that's that's pretty basic. Is—is is you should be making yourself known around LA as a soccer entity, whether that's oh we're we're a future club or whether that's part of the uh, the youth structure in, in and community, and whether or not you're pitching. Uh, you, you have a tent out at a tournament. I mean, that, just do that kind of stuff. Hopefully they are. I don't know that they're not, Will, and I don't want to throw stones. If we're, uh, if we're being unfair here. but uh, Washington's, Washington's got a question on Twitter. I'm going to throw this at you before we move on because I don't want this to be all about LAFC. He says, uh, if LAFC weren't being so confusing, would you be talking about them right now?
5: That's a good point. I mean, probably not. We're not talking about Atlanta, are we?
2: No, we're not. And Atlanta's probably doing a lot of good things right now that we're not talking about.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good point. But at the same time, the uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease,
2: right? I suppose that's exactly what this is. Uh, and, and we are always, our eyes are always drawn, especially in, and this goes back, I haven't mentioned it today on the show, but Simon Evans wrote an excellent column over at World Soccer Talk in which he sort of identified that uh, American soccer is more con, uh, more concerned with the structures and how we do things than sometimes we are about the games and the coaches and the players and the referees. As is the rest of the world, and there's a reason for that. But that's why we, our attention is drawn to LAFC because it's a it's a chain, and uh, the weakest link is the one that we worry about most. And and when LAFC isn't really getting themselves together in a way that we all think is the right way to go, we pay attention to them. All right, I, I don't have a whole lot of time with you, Will. I want to I want to uh, run through a couple of other things. Um, I, I, you know, as again, the part of the the thing about top door soccer is you guys do a lot of. Uh, to discussing development. You particularly have dove into, uh, dived into some of the issues affecting MLS and the way they, they develop players. And there's some names I just want to get your thoughts on. I'm going to throw some names at you. You tell me where you think they are, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, future national teamer or, or, or future MLS star or what, what, what their situation is right now. The first one is Tommy Thompson. <laughs> where is Tommy Thompson?
5: <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I think Dom Kinnear to start with was a bad mix with him. Um, the new uh, San Jose coach, uh, he, he's a little bit more pragmatic. If you look at the way he deployed in, in Houston, um, he's a little bit more of an old school four-four-two kind of guy. You know, have a, have a blazing winger out on the, uh, you know, uh, out on the fringes and, and funnel it in. And Sana Niyazi's been that for him on the right wing this year, which is which is a bit puzzling because Sana Niasi, uh has not been very good. And I don't know if Dom Kinnear watched the U twenty Concacaf tournament in January, where Tommy Thompson was, in my opinion, one of the top two or three players in that entire tournament, but he played out wide, and it was a 4-3-3, um, so we admit that right off the bat, but at the same time, as a guy who likes to collapse the wing, Tommy Thompson is is outstanding, um, especially when you have a guy like Wando, who's not going to stay tethered to the box, and likes to kind of pull back a little bit, there's so much good interchange that could happen there, and he's getting zero chance um, to showcase his ability, so... I mean, I I can't tell you what's going through Dom's mind. Maybe there's something that he sees in practice that just doesn't jive with with sort of the ethos that he wants to install, but um, there's absolutely no reason that at the very least he comes in for 20, 30 minutes at the end of games and gives you a little little, uh, interjection of that. Yeah,
2: I think that that's definitely a role he could fill, and and I don't know why. Maybe Dom's just getting himself established and wants to to rely on, again, Sananayasi. I mean, seriously. I mean, (laughs) talking about a nondescript MLS player at this point. Um yeah. and, and but before I move on from Tommy Thompson, is there anything left for him to gain from going down and playing with the Sacramento Republic at this point, or is no, that that no. that ship has sailed? He needs to be in a, a, a top level environment.
5: Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah. he's he's good enough, and uh, and if if San Jose is not the place for him, he needs to find something
2: different. Player, but certainly one who is exciting on the creative end as much as Tommy Thompson, a guy who's making a name for himself as Harry Ship. Is Harry Ship? How does Harry Ship? I guess the question for me now is because I honestly think he's 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 fun to watch. I think he's he's made great strides. Obviously, he had a he had a wall last year in his rookie season. Maybe he overcomes that this year. But if he was to become, to become a national team player, if Jurgen Klinsman's taking a look at Harry Ship, which I think a lot of people would love for him to do, how does he fit into that team?
5: What I hope that Klinsman sees in Ship's deployment in Chicago is that he's. Kind of become this WD 40 in Chicago where he's, he just kind of goes in where they need him and he's been outstanding in literally every position he's played. He plays, I believe, on the right now. Um, just because that's what, um, that's where they have the biggest hole. And, and he's, I mean, he's been playing outstanding, but you know, his passing numbers haven't been, um, for as many chances as he's, as he creates his percentage, passing percentage is usually, it's, I mean, it hovers between 70, 75. Um, and he's an 80 to 85% passing kind of guy. And that's entirely because he's on the wing. So if you move him inside as kind of more of an eight, uh, where he's shuttling in between the defensive midfielder and the high attacking midfielder, which <laughs> I guess the U.S. needs to find as well. But, um, it, if, if he's in that sort of conduit position, um, there isn't anybody quite like him. I mean, he's getting these, these Quotemic Blanco, uh, comparisons right now in Chicago. And, you know, I, I think that there's, there's some hyperbole to that, but there's also a little bit of truth just because he's, he he kind of has that sort of Mexican, uh, technician kind of, uh, look about his game. He's, he's, he's shorter. Um, he loves being on the ball. He, you know, he, he takes fantastic touches. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to see him sort of in that sort of shuttler role in the middle where he can really, kind of do some work
2: he does ha- he does have this sort of jittery approach to the ball that is mm-hmm. very blanco that i definitely enjoy every time i watch him I, he reminds me of somebody and I, and I think blanco but then i'm like there's got to be somebody else I, i'm thinking of but regardless harry ship very fun to watch i'm gonna come to one more name people know and a, and a name that i know you uh, a player you very you like very very much and then i'm gonna ask you about maybe some guys to keep an eye on will trap give me some some thoughts on will trap in 2015 obviously some injury concerns right now
5: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the injuries have, have slowed him down a little bit. Um, and I, I hope that national team fans aren't cowed by his one appearance, um, where he was a little bit, um, he was a little bit behind the game, um, in a national team jersey. But, you know, the, the, the thing that, that really excites you about Will Trapp is that he's, um, he's he's willing to stay back, certainly, but he's got this ability, this distrib- dis- distribution ability um, that I haven't seen outside Michael Bradley um, ever on the national team level. Um, so I, I think that one of the things that's really exciting about him is if you put him with Bradley, um, you've immediately got a midfield that can pick out a pass and pick out a forward pretty much anywhere on the field. And for Jurgen Klinsmann's style of play, um, which, in my opinion, as much as he talks about playing through the back and playing this, um, this, this beautiful style is, is, is a little bit more direct, um, mm-hmm. than maybe he's, he's let on. Um, having basically two registas with the ability to cut out passes, um, is about as good as it gets. Yeah. Now, that said, um, you know, he, he does have some, some things to learn just about tracking runners. He's not the greatest out and out defensive midfielder. Um, so you may pairing him with Bradley may or may not be the greatest idea, but at the same time, I, I think in terms of his vision, um, and his ability to read a game, just to see what's happening, there's it, not a whole lot better right now.
2: All right. And I didn't, pre- I didn't prep you for this. So if you don't have money at the top of your head, you know, uh, feel free to yell at me here, but do you have anybody, <laughs> anybody in the, you know, the, the homegrown range, a, a young player, maybe even a rookie out of college who has not yet really made himself known, but you think has the talent. To, to, to really step up into a level where where trap is existing right now?
5: Well, putting me on the spot here. I know. Um, I, I
2: know. It's a completely unfair of me.
5: No, no, no. no. It, uh, I mean, there, there's a ton of, of, of really solid players. You know, I, maybe the one that I'm most excited about is a kid out of Houston. His name's um, uh, Christian Lucatero.
2: Okay. <laughs> and
5: and uh, he is a legitimate number 10. Um, a, Creative midfielder, scores a ton of goals, um, and he just recently committed to Oregon State. Yes. Um, he's in the, the dynamo system and he's, he's got, um, Mexican heritage. So the Mexican national team's kind of poking around and engaging his interest. I think he's recently called into a Mexican U-17 national team camp. Um, and for some reason, uh, You know, the dynamo have been very uh, reluctant to sign homegrowns and, uh, this kid is MLS ready right now. Um, and if, you know, Owen Coyle needs, (laughs) needs some advice, he can call me up because, um, if this kid even gets to Oregon State before he signs, a homegrown deal. Um, that's a problem. Well, I, I actually,
2: think- <laughs> I just to jump in, Will, I'm not usually going to tread on your territory, but I've talked to this kid. I, I actually interviewed him for a piece I did for Bleacher Report that they asked me to do, uh, specifically about his U.S. and Mexico roots and, and maybe picking. But the, but as you said, if he gets Oregon State and the Hi- dynamo haven't signed him, I think my fear is, particularly because Mexico is taking a look that he's going to end up playing for Mexican club before we know what's happening.
5: Sure. And, and that's a, it's the same thing for the national team. Um, with a lot of these kids that are, you know, under 18, under 20, um, it's kind of about who gets there first and who kind of is able to inst- instill this ability of, or this, this sort of thought of belonging. Um, and if, if he feels like he belongs in one place over the other, that's where he's going to play. Mm. And he hasn't really, you know, he's, he's gotten some call-ups, um, certainly in the, in the U.S. camps, but, Um, he hasn't really been an integral part of of any national team. So um, it's very wide open. I mean, he can go either way in terms of uh, Mexican clubs or uh, Mexican national team. Um, So who knows? But at least in terms of of the Dynamo, he's he's one of these no-brainer guys.
2: Uh, Here's a player who passed on signing with MLS and decided to go the NASL route. And I've heard a couple of theories as to why this might be. But Haji Wright is a New York Cosmos player at the moment, uh highly touted, U seventeen international. What is the ceiling for Haji Wright, and what do you think he gets out of the Cosmos relationship?
5: Yeah, I mean Haji is obviously very um he's a he's a very interesting prospect because he's got every physical tool that you could want. I mean he's he's played mostly in a four three three on the national team, but you know, he's played wide left, he's played wide right, he's played up top, um and he could do all those things. I think one of the things that you want to see from him is him continue to work on his work rate because he can tend to give up on plays. Uh, he can, uh, he's not great on 50-50 balls, but you know, man, you get him in space and it, he's hard to beat. And I think his, his ceiling is going to depend a lot on the type of instruction that he gets in the national team or on the, uh, sorry, on the club level. And, you know, surrounded by guys like Marcus Senna and Raul with the Cosmos, I think can be good. My worry is is um, competition. I don't know how um, you know how stiff that's going to be. You know, NASL is not a terrible league, but at, at, you know at the same time, it's, he's not quite playing in the Bundesliga either. So, I mean, I, I think that for a guy like him, he just needs minutes at this point. So, I'm I'm certainly not deriding his move to the Cosmos. I think um, he wasn't going to get those minutes at the Galaxy, where um, you know where he was a, he's a homegrown prospect. So. I'll be interested to see, though, uh, if this, if he parlays this into a move to Europe. Cause he was in Germany, um, before this with Schalke, um, on an extended trial for a while and, um, didn't work out. He's, he didn't have a EU passport and he wasn't 18, so he couldn't sign. Uh, well, he turns 18 next year. So when, when that happens, I don't know. Maybe he decides to, to jump or maybe they sell him or, or, or something like that happens. But, um, in the interim, it's a good spot. He's getting minutes. Um, that's kinda of all you can ask.
2: Now, let me turn to uh to the national team program for just a second before we let you go, Will. It's um you know, the it's been a little bit up and down. Obviously Clinsman has got this holistic approach uh to how uh to to, to leading the, the entirety of US soccer, certainly from the men's side. He's got a, a mandate as technical director to make changes and doing everything. We have uh we obviously have um, you know, coaches who have been given a certain task with these teams that are they're all operating under the same umbrella now. Uh, Tab Ramos with the U20s and Richie Williams down a level below that. How would you rate things right now? And, and maybe I'll specifically ask you about those individual coaches, Ramos and, and Williams and how they're doing.
5: Well, you know, I, I think the system certainly needs a little bit of work, but you know, if you judge teams on, um, results only, um, which we don't do, but let's say we do, um, then, you know, the U20s need, U17s who are both in, specifically, who are both in World Cups later this year. You know, that's, that's all you can ask, I guess. You know, where they, they have the opportunity to play in these bigger games against the head, you know, the heaviest competition possible. Now that said, both U17s and the U20s this year needed a playoff game to qualify. Um, both were in really dire straits late. The U17s utterly collapsed. Um, after a really promising first three games, um, and just kind of shuffled through the last couple, um, and had to win a, you know, a do or die game to get there. Now, the U20s was even more dire. I mean, they, they drew their first game, which to be fair was off of a wonder strike from Guatemala and then, um, totally laid down against Panama. Um, and, you know, there's some concerns on the way these teams are playing. There's not a whole lot of fluid interchange. Um, the way these teams are built. Um, I mean, I, Tab Ramos, I think, has done a fine job. He's put in a tough spot uh, before the the 2013 U20 World Cup, where um, you know half the the roster w- weren't necessarily his players that he brought up. Uh, that that World Cup was just an absurd draw, where you had Ghana and Spain and France, which eventually ended up winning the whole tournament. So it was hard to judge, and I think this year 2015 will be a benchmark in how we view both Richie Williams. And Tab Ramos, because Richie Williams, this is his his first World Cup. His mm-hmm. his team missed the last one, which was the first time that that had ever happened in the history of the U17 national team. So you know we're we're starting with that, and we're saying, okay, Richie, well, you've got 2015 to figure it out, and they've got their World Cup later this year, and we'll see how they do. Um, same thing with Tab. I mean, certainly he made his first World Cup, but at the same time, you know, it's it's not like his team has been you know a world beater either. So. Um, both of those World Cups, the U20s play at the end of May, um, and the U17s play, I believe, in October. Um, and I think how they look in those tournaments will be a barometer for how we look at both of those guys um, in the years to come.
2: We could do this for an hour, Will, uh, but yes. I know you've got stuff. You're moving stuff around your new house uh, out there in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, uh, we've got stuff to do. I mean, you know, life goes on. I would love to just sit here and chat soccer with you. Hopefully, we'll have you back in the near future, Will Parchman. Follow him on Twitter, at Will Parchman, riding over at uh, Top Door Soccer, doing fantastic fantastic work with that crew. Will, thank you very much for your time and your insight, man. I'll get you back Beersable, soon. man. All right, there you go, Will Parchman. And that's going to do it for us on a Friday. Make sure you go to uh, 3milfc.com to buy your Soccer Morning T-shirt. You can get your mug at batkill.com slash store. We're on Twitter at Soccer Morning. I don't know. What else? Keep, keep coming with those U.S. Open Cup thoughts. I like that. Well, at Soccer Morning on Twitter. Have a good weekend. Enjoy your soccer. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. See ya. Don't
5: you know what about this road People always say.